is good to be here with you all. How many people loved all that snow we got on the weekend? Yeah, right? Isn't that awesome? You guys were all expecting spring to come soon, weren't you? With all that thawing that was happening, you could see grass here and there. You could walk on the actual ground, not on layers of snow and everything like that. And then it dumped snow on you. Lots of snow. And uh, I was thinking, I was, I was actually looking at the window at all the snow. And I was standing by the window, feeling little drafts come in through where some of the parts of the window weren't aren't great, and some of the seals on the window aren't, aren't really good. I could feel the cold air coming in, and how it just chills you when you have that. And, uh, and you just look out, and you see all that snow, so much of it out there. And you're just like, you just feel like your heart's sinking. But I just want to remind you today that you know what is coming, don't you? You know that spring is coming. It's, it cannot be held back by winter. Yes, we can have an occasional snowstorm here or there that can, can, you know, feel like it's slowing down. But it's only early March, and spring is coming. And we know what comes with the spring. We know the new growth and the green and everything like that. So in your season of winter, whatever is going on in your life right now, and you feel like there's a setback, just know that spring will come. The seasons come and come and come. They cannot be stopped. So take that to heart and just uh, know that God's got a new season for you ahead. All right, we are in our uh, Build Your House series this year. And we've been working our way successively through different items and different ways of thinking through how God can build his house. And over the next couple of weeks before Easter, we're going to be looking at people and how through people, God wants to build his house. So let's, uh, let's pray before we dive in. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that um, you came and were a person amongst us, that you came and dwelt amongst us, showing us how to love and how to live, uh, what it looks like to follow you, teaching us your ways. And so, God, as we look at people and the relationships we have and the different challenges that come with that, I pray that, God, you would just allow um, your word and the people around us to help us to grow, to look more like you every single day. And so we just pray that your word will just uh, come alive to us in this series. Uh, We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this series, again, it's about people. It's about us. It's about you. It's about me and other people. It's about how we get along with these people and how that matters how we see God working in the midst of all these things, because that matters, and how we see our relationships be ways in which God can look to form and transform our character or our behavior, or if you prefer, our actions. Now, before you start looking around the room and thinking of all the ways that other people here have helped you grow in patience and in long-suffering, I want to remind you that they too are somehow growing. Think of that. It may take you a second to catch on, but, but more seriously, 
In life, we have so many things that happen to us by people that seem beyond what we deserve, doesn't it? How many times have somebody, action, somebody else's actions had a, had a repercussion on you that you looked at it and you said, like, what, what did I do to deserve that? It could be something small in the grand scheme of things. Somebody nicking your car in the parking lot when they're parking beside you, and as they pull out, they just scrape your bumper, and you're like, why? What did I do to deserve having my bumper scraped? Take that to a shop, and that little scrape is a $500 fix. What did I do to deserve that? We have these things that happen, and we may ask in bigger things, Beyond that, we may ask how loving God may allow it to happen, let alone that there be some life lesson in it for us. In all the chaos, we often look upwards to God in those moments. We wonder, how can there even be a loving God? Or wonder if there even is a God. And why would we want to have a relationship with this God if this is how he treats people and how he lets things happen to them. And I get it. I get it. Our emotions get to us. And we look around and we feel that way. I also look around me. And I see how people are treating each other and how I can treat people. I see how things are here in Cornwall. And how things are historically. And there's a part of me though that concludes that there absolutely actually must be a living God. How else could we exist? Seriously, though, left to our own devices, how horribly would we treat each other if there wasn't some imprint of a loving God on us and in the world around us that kept us from doing absolute harm to each other? I know in the deepest recesses of my heart, if it wasn't for God, I would do way more damage Just because God lets something happen doesn't mean that he approves of it. God isn't just wanting bad things to happen to you. But he's not necessarily going to save you from anything bad happening either. Or from certain bad things happening that you don't want to happen. We may be okay with a certain measure of bad things happening because everybody has to have their quota of bad luck, but there's some bad things that we should be immune to in our lives, we sometimes think. But the freedom of our choices and the actions, they have consequences. And the freedom of other people's choices and their actions also have consequences. And we can't be immune to them. See, our lives aren't meant to be lived like bumper bowling, where you put those little guards down over the gutters and you can throw the ball down the bowling alley lane and it never goes in the gutter and it always hits a pin. That's not how our lives were meant to live. There's no fear in that. God risks his love on us, hoping that we'll respond, hoping that we'll look for his direction even when we're in the gutter, when people have put us there, or maybe we've put others there. It's easy for us in moments like this 
to always see ourselves as the victim. Sometimes we got to step back, pause, and realize that sometimes we can be the transgressor. That we can be the one that has caused harm. Even in this last season during COVID, if we pause and we're introspective, and we take an honest assessment of the way we've used our words, could there be broken relationship, strained relationship, because of our stances that we've taken on COVID, one way or another, that we've vocalized to somebody else that may have felt left them feeling ostracized, alone, judged for their position? Our words, our actions can cause damage, even if we totally didn't mean to, but we spoke thinking we knew what we were talking about, and it was fine. I also know this, that the story that we're going to look at over the next number of weeks can mirror maybe a lot of what's in your heart, about the way you've been treated, but your loved ones and the way they've been treated, or how you've been treated. You see, we're going to look at the story of Joseph, and it has multiple layers to its story. There's this prophetic continuation of God's story through it, from Abraham moving forward. There's Joseph being a foreshadowing of who Jesus would be. There's echoes of the future and the promise moving on. But the one we're going to look at is the story of a family that was broken and then reconciled. I encourage you all to read the story over the next number of weeks. It can be found in Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible, chapters 37 to 50. And I encourage you to read it, maybe even a couple times, so the story sinks in and can really minister to you. But what you're going to find there is a story that rivals any daytime soap opera you could look at. It'll rival any Netflix series that you could watch. And I'm not even talking about just the the G-rated Netflix series or Amazon Prime or even, dare I say, Life in Cornwall. As we look at this story, I want you to keep in mind a couple of things about the Bible as you dig in and how the Bible uses um, people and things like that when it tells its stories. The first one is this. The biblical narratives, the storyline of the Bible, they use characters as a vehicle showing what they do and say. So that person becomes a vehicle for a larger story or or a larger storyline of of which they are a part. And number two, the Bible usually only describes uh, physical characteristics or things like that if they are vital to the story. Their history and the way they told history at the time They wouldn't include details that did not matter. So it didn't matter all the mundane things that we may put into the history accounts now down to the, you know, what color of plaid and what what design of plaid was I wearing on a certain day. They wouldn't go into that level of detail unless there was significance to it. So just know that when you read the story over the next couple of weeks, that that's, that's how God works and that's how the Bible works when it tells story. So using characters as a vehicle, they show the choices they made, and it's for us to evaluate our own decisions and our own choices as we learn from theirs. So the statement about I'm about to say would be true for Joseph, and it would then also be true for us. And that is this. Who you are becoming 
is directly connected to the choices you are making. Who you are becoming is directly connected to the choices you are making. Or, as Max Dupree has put it, we cannot become what we need to be by remaining who we are. The choices we make, they impact others. The choices others make, they will impact us. And God, if we let him, will work all things, good or bad, for our good. But remember, what God allows is never to be confused with what he approves. Even in our faith system, God allows for divorce in certain situations, but he doesn't approve because restoration and reconciliation is always his heart. We are, in a way, or were, depending on where your relationship is with God at this moment, we're divorced from God. We're separated from him by sin. His choice wasn't to keep that relationship separate, but to reconcile back towards us. And the same thing is the way he sees in marriage. Now, for certain, God doesn't approve of all my thoughts and all my actions, but he does allow me the autonomy to do what I do. So as we dive into our biblical story, let's, let's find it from its start and kind of give you a background to where, what's going on. So we're talking about Joseph, and Joseph's parents are Jacob and Rachel. Jacob would have his name changed to be Israel as he was the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's who we're talking about. So he's, those are his parents. And Rachel had uh, been unable to have children. And so she was praying to God that he would allow her to be able to, to get pregnant. And God hears her prayer, and she conceives and gives birth to Joseph. And his name means, may God add. Now, we can also know a few other things about Joseph. As a teen, we can see a few things. One is he was the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife, and thus Jacob's favorite son. Again, like I told you, it mirrors and matches any crazy story you'll find in any soap opera. Because, yes, Jacob had more than one wife at a time. Technically, he had four wives. Go figure. Uh, The second thing is this. His gifts and calling are present in his life, but they're not mature Something was missing. And the third thing is this, that his status with the family, his status in the family filled him with pride. Let's read this in Genesis 37, 4-7. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. And suddenly, my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. 
Joseph knows that his brothers hate him. And yet he still proceeds to share a dream with them. A dream that shows them, in, in essence, bowing down to him. And they hate him even more. Is that really surprising? In hindsight, we can clearly see that the dream is from God. And dreams were common for how God spoke to people in this time. And while the dream was from God, how Joseph handled it was not. He pridefully used it as a way to confirm of his elevated and special status within the family. In Genesis 37, 9 to 11, we read this. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had? He said, Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Damaging choices he made. You see, these dreams, he saw them only from one side. They weren't illegitimate dreams. They weren't just dreams, you know, that he ate because, or he had some bad goat the night before, and, and now he's, he's dreaming funny dreams. They're real dreams from God. But the challenge is what is he only saw them from his perspective, which at that time was pride-filled. He knows his, or, his brothers already hate him, and yet his pride gives him no place just to pause and wonder what these dreams may mean. Joseph sees the grain sheaves, the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him. He never asks God why or how they will bow down to him. After all, he was at this point the youngest son in the family. The dreams meant is meant, though, for Joseph to grow into someone who serves others. But at this moment, Joseph's pride causes him to misinterpret those dreams. See, if the dream is from God, it will happen. Spring will come, right? It requires, though, his obedience and not his assistance. He didn't need to take that dream to his brothers and say, it's time for you guys to bow down now. It's time for you to, to, to recognize how really, truly great I am, this little brother of theirs. You see, God may often give us a glimpse at things, like Pastor Angered was saying. He may give us a glimpse of, of what's coming or what it may look like. But the journey there is never what would we have chosen to go on, right? It's never what we would have expected and there's usually a reason for that. Meanwhile, Joseph is tripping over his pride. His brothers are bound by their jealousy. Pride, jealousy, envy, strife. They're specific enemies that we face. And they show up in others and in us. A way to think of jealousy is this. God owes me. Or I am owed. What Joseph has, who he is, 
his special status, what God is doing in his life is something his brothers thought they deserved. And sometimes it's something we feel that we deserve what other people have and the, the seemingly special status that they have, either in church or in culture or whatever, and families. And jealousy gets a hold of us. And pride, and jealousy, envy, strife leads you to selfishly take when God's heart is for you to humbly receive. Joseph knows his brothers don't love him. And he probably knows why they don't love him. He's flaunting a reversed pecking order at them. He's in this culture, the oldest son would always receive the biggest inheritance and the biggest peace and would be the leader of the family as their father passed on. While he didn't initiate it, he certainly flaunted it. His father gave him that special status, but he definitely used it and flaunted it every chance he could. When his brothers would go off to take care of sheep, he was at home. He would just be the messenger boy to go back and forth when he should have been there working and sweating alongside them. Seemingly, it was a family tradition for fathers to create havoc in their families. Abraham with Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac with Jacob and Esau. And now Jacob with his sons. At 17 years old, though, God is now going to grow Joseph into the dream. The choices he makes, which hurt and offend his brothers, violate something we see articulated much later when the Apostle Paul would be speaking to the church in Rome. And we call this the law of love. And Romans 14, 13, it says this, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. We can totally see Joseph doing this to his brothers, putting a stumbling block in front of them, trying to figure out where their brother's status and why maybe their dad has given him this special status. What reason would God have for that? And he just makes it so hard for them to possibly see that there could be something to this, doesn't he? He made it so hard for them to follow, potentially follow him. Now, Joseph isn't at fault for what's about to transpire to him, but he bears some responsibility for creating this relational environment that spawns the actions of his brothers. When we see through revelation or feedback how our, our choices impact our others, how they might be causing others to stumble, we have a choice. We can either assign blame or we can accept responsibility. And assigning blame can look like this. It's all their fault. Or it's, it's always their fault. Or if that's a little too harsh, it's, it's don't blame me. This is just how life works sometimes. Never accepting any responsibility. Then the other side of it is accepting responsibility. And that can be whatever percentage of the problem is yours. You may not be fully to blame, but there's a percentage that is yours to own. And I 100% need to own that percentage. That's my fault. Immature Joseph believes that his brothers will either submit or work through their issues of jealousy and be happy for him 
And this shows tremendous lack of judgment on his part. If jealous, I may experience a pang of delight when you have a setback. Right? Jealousy does that. You have a setback and inwardly, secretly inside, I'm like, yes. You could be looking for a job promotion and another person you are competing with gets it. You gets it and you don't. And inside, you, somebody's like, yes. You know, not me personally, but you know what I mean. We feel these things. If envious, I might experience a flash of satisfaction when you gain 10 pounds and you lose those sculpted arms and abs. Maybe I even put out a little junk food to help you along the way, right? We're envious, and we don't mind taking you down a notch to help us feel a little bit better about ourselves. That's how Joseph's brothers felt. But dialed way up. Genesis 37, 18 to 20 and 23 to 24 says this. Then they saw him in the distance. Again, he wasn't actually shepherding with them. He was chilling with his dad and his mom in the house and would just be sent to go and run errands and tell them, you know, it's time to come back now or do whatever. And so they saw him from a distance. Before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. The Bible has sarcasm written right into it. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the long-sleeved robe that he had on. If you read the story, you'll find out this was a very special multicolored robe that his father had given him, which is a sign of royalty, not something a shepherd would wear into the field. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and without water. Now, two of his brothers, Reuben and Judah, who were the oldest and fourth oldest respectively, they didn't want to see their brother actually die. They didn't mind seeing him taken down a notch or two, but they didn't want to see him die. And so they were, Reuben wanted to plan to, you know, get him out of the pit and bring him back to his dad a little bit later. And, and Judah wasn't quite so nice. He just didn't want to see him actually die. And so when Reuben was off, the rest of them were, were going to kill him, and then they decided to to sell him off into slavery. And he was sold for 20 pieces of silver um, to some traders that were on their way to Egypt. And in this, Joseph moves from a dream of leading to a nightmare of slavery. His brothers go from just having, having a hatred for their brother. Now they're enslaved by a lie. Sides of this, they form an illusion that one is free and the other is bound. It seemed like the brothers are free from their, their younger brother that was causing all this problem. Now they could just go on living life with their, with their dad and, and everything would be fine because they wouldn't have this little brother that was bugging them and causing all these problems. But they're not. They're just as bound up as Joseph was, as their dad chose to mourn and was going to mourn until he died because of his missing son. It's usually the way it works. When hurt happens, both sides of the equation are bound by different masters. But here's the thing. God is still working. He's using people. He's using events and circumstances in all of their lives. Remember, what God allows is never to be confused with what he approves. 
God loves us too much to always give us what we desire or deserve. If you struggle with pride, God wants you to first consider others, to have humility. If you struggle with jealousy or envy, your problem isn't, then, isn't them, it's actually God. And God wants to teach you to have contentment in him. The brothers are blinded by jealousy. Joseph was blinded by pride. And the net result is both of them couldn't see properly. But God is never bound by us or anything. And this is why even when we get it all wrong, God can still use all those things to work together for our good. Even when terrible things happen, things that we never planned on. Maybe we had a plan that what happened isn't following that plan. God can still use it for his glory and to lead us in his purpose for our life. God can redeem our destination. Yet like Joseph, you may not love the journey. God will reconcile this family, but the cost of sin will be 17 years of lost relationship. Today, are you caught in pride, jealousy, envy? Has it caused lost relationship for you? Where do you assign blame for that or accept responsibility? Are you open to owning whatever percent of the issue is yours to own? See, today God is using people and events and circumstances to make us more like him. You may need inner reflection or other people to help you figure out specifically how that's happening. But I know that it's always going to take the path of humility. As we close today, I have just four questions that are kind of drawn out, but four questions to ask you. Who might there be that you need to confess to? From arrogance or envy, pride or jealousy. Who might there need to be for you to approach and ask forgiveness from? What, step, what steps can you take to restore relationship, to take ownership for whatever percentage of the issue or the problem is yours? How? How can you grow in humility? What are tangible ways that you can look to serve others, think of others before yourself, and to be content in God? The fourth question is this, why? Take some time to reflect on who you have blamed for things. Why did you blame them? Why are they really as guilty as you thought they are? How has pride, jealousy, or pain distorted the reason for why things are the way they are? Instead of asking, why would God let this happen or may make me go through this, ask, how can God use this for my growth, for my journey, for my purpose? Let's pray. God, you, you came to have relationship with us. You sent Jesus to show us the way to be restored in relationship with you. God, that when we admit that we need you, 
Like your word says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we are broken, and we need you, God, to heal us, to give us direction, to cleanse us from all the things that separate us from you. And Jesus has done that on the cross for us. When we do that, we can live in right relationship with you. And it's an easy thing to do in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to keep trying to perfect that we live right before you, God, and right with others. And in this journey, God, you use our relationships with you and with others to continually refine us to who you want us to be. Just like you, you wanted to use Joseph to carry on their family and, and to, to uh, be a source of life for them. There was pride in his life that needed to be dealt with in order for him to actually be able to step into the position of leadership you had for him. And God, you lovingly choose to work with us with all the, the, the warts and the issues that we have, you patiently work with us to work on these things in our lives that constantly trip us up. And we thank you for that. And God, I pray that you would help us uh, just to take measure of the things in our lives, whether it's jealousy or envy or strife or pride, things that can break relationships around us, that can affect how we deal with people. God, I pray that you would help us work on these things. Because as you build your house, God, we must remember that you are building it with us. Your house is the people of God. You dwell in the hearts of men and women. And so, God, we... We desire to treat your creation, those that you desire to dwell in and with, we want to treat them with the utmost respect and honor that we can. And it takes you working on our hearts to do so. So God, I just pray that you would do that in my life. Continue to refine me and use the journey that I'm on as much as can be painful in my life to learn how to treat others the way you want me to and to live the life of purpose that you have for me and for us all to do that. We thank you for this, Jesus. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.